Day 195, 208 days uh, since Joe Biden promised uh, America and Americans that he wouldn't stab them in the back and leave them all behind, which he did. And uh, the media mob, they've turned the page. Joe Biden's turned the page. And here we are doing a countdown and nobody's paying any attention to it at all whatsoever. It's, it just is sickening. You know, I want to stand back and take a look at this week because I want you to remember this week. Because this is going to come back to haunt us, what we didn't do and what we did do. It's all going to come back to haunt us. And mark my words on this. I have said, and I contend, not only Joe is a cognitive mess, that's a given, that every problem we are now facing as a country, whether it's the economy, a 40-year high of inflation, his economic policies, the problems at the border, his, his total disengagement from anything really effective as it relates to COVID, it is, it is unforgivable to me that heading into the third year over, over Christmas, we ran out of tests for COVID. How is that possible? How do we run out of monoclonal antibodies, the one therapeutic that everybody says works? How come they never warp, you know, use warp speed to produce the antivirals that every doctor I know brags about? Every problem we have internationally... All of these problems, we Joe Biden caused them. It was all preventable, and every one of the problems can be fixed. If you want to fix the border problem, go back to the stay of Mexico policy of Donald Trump, build the wall, finish the wall, and end this idiocy of process and release, and stop lying to the American people about early morning flights at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., and stop lying and saying, well, we don't need to test the illegal immigrants because they're not going to be here very long. And, oh, these cages in the middle of a pandemic that Joe built really aren't that bad after all. That's all a lie. We've been lied to. But they, it was all preventable if they would have kept the policies in place. Now that they screwed it up, they can fix it, but they're not going to. They can fix, you know, we he was handed, Joe Biden was handed energy independence. America was a net exporter of energy. And we could achieve that again. But it was Joe Biden that made the decision that it was way more important that Joe Biden listen to the radicals within his own party and take a wrecking ball to the oil and gas industry. Keystone XL pipeline, you know, an end of, of drilling efforts in all of Alaska, all put on a permanent hold. Anwar off limits again. Trump had opened that up. He disrupted uh, new exploration development auctions in the rest of the country, suspended new exploration on federal lands, and then he hurt the liquefied natural gas production in this country by lifting sanctions on on Nord Stream 2 pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. You know, by the way, 800-plus million barrels of oil would be able to go through the Keystone XL pipeline, I'm told. I didn't know that until this week. I didn't know it was, wow, that massive. We have more energy resources than we could ever use in a hundred years. And probably when we, we end up with new technologies, like for example, extracting shale through a microwaving process where the shale is liquefied and then drawn up, et cetera. I mean, fracking is new technology and it can be done safely. We know it's done safely. All of these things, we're going to have resources probably in perpetuity until we one day find a new form of energy that is cheap and affordable and, and far less of a hassle to get a hold of. But every single problem was preventable and fixable. 
you know, I'm looking at this week, and this is where we're going to look back and realize, wow, Joe Biden screwed this up. Now, the entire time, go back to July 12th when the Putin manifesto came out, where he kind of outlined every territorial ambition that he had and what wouldn't recognize Ukraine even as a country and laid out exactly what he's going to do. And nobody in Europe and nobody in NATO and nobody in Joe's White House paid any attention to it. Then you have this long, drawn-out buildup of troops in eastern Ukraine, and, and this is all on top of a history that is full of Putin's territorial ambition, starting with Georgia in 08, followed up by Crimea in 2014, and now it's obvious that it's not just the two independent republics that Putin recognized you know, early in the week. No, it's the entire country, because he, if you look at the map of where he bombed, inside of ukraine it's the entire country that he's hitting we expect that kiev the capital will be taken in the next 48 72 hours so this war ostensibly in that sense is over whether or not there's an insurgency that can be built that would be effective against putin and and russia i don't know it could always hope uh certainly america supplying the mujahideen in afghanistan stinger missiles played a major role in the so and Russia losing that battle, the former Soviet Union losing in Afghanistan, and they had to run and hightail it out of there, kind of the way Joe Biden did, which is embarrassing because it didn't need to end that way. We could have done it so many other ways. But this is what you're going to remember from this week that most people won't focus on. Not only did Joe Biden, all the sanctions that he did put in place, which we went over yesterday when we covered Joe Biden's sanctions not all of them combined are meaningless because of one reason and that is that the one area where they really needed to hurt vladimir putin they didn't touch and that is the biden white house acknowledging that sanctions are not designed to disrupt russia's energy export uh, exporting in other words they're not going to touch the heart and soul of Putin's finances, the one sanction that would have been most effective, and that is putting a stop, a freeze on importing any oil energy from Russia altogether. Now, this goes back to my point yesterday, which is if I was president, and I'm not president, I'm just a talk show host. If I was president, uh, my speech to the nation yesterday would have gone something like this. I just got off the phone with all the largest energy producers in America, and I told them as of noon today, every restriction that I have put on energy exploration and production has been lifted, and I have asked them to rapidly get up as much production as possible so we become as energy independent as quickly as possible and so we can supply the energy needs of our allies in NATO and our Western European allies. That's what I would have done. And simultaneously, I would have also designed the sanctions to absolutely disrupt Russia's energy exports because that's where he's getting all his money from. That's how he's financing this war that he's, this unprovoked war that he's now declared against a sovereign country, Ukraine. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Ukraine in terms of, uh, this has been a country that has been plagued with corruption for a long, long time. We know because we've got it on tape. We got Joe Biden on tape bragging. You're not getting the billion dollars. 
until you fire that prosecutor, Shokin, who's investigating my son, who has zero experience in energy, gas, oil, etc., but is making millions of dollars. Then the famous GMA interview with Hunter Biden. You have any experience in energy? No. Any experience in oil? No. Gas? No. Any experience with Ukraine? No. Why do you think they're paying you millions of dollars? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. Do you think it's because maybe daddy is the vice president in charge of all policy of Ukraine? Maybe that your vice president father's the part of the reason? Probably. The real quid pro quo, in other words. But I digress. Um, so I'm looking at this. And, and you know, Biden is, you know, has been so ineffective pushing Vladimir Putin, we're told, to de-escalate, return to diplomacy. Well, you don't ask somebody to return to diplomacy when he has a gun at your head. He was asking for him to return to diplomacy when he had already amassed all his troops and military might on the eastern border of Ukraine. Uh, he should have done it before they deployed the troops as they were deploying the troops and told and you should have said right up straight up we will defeat you financially and it will hurt you know all this rhetoric it's going to hurt and you know yesterday saying that well we never really thought that sanctions would stop vladimir from invading but we'll see what it looks like in 30 days kamala harris said sanctions would deter vladimir putin from going in so what we now have done here is these you're talking about paper tiger phony symbolism over substance sanctions that are being put on russia because you're allowing the lifeblood of that economy 50 percent of the russian economy is based on energy and the white house rightly got blasted you had the deputy national security advisor literally we have the tape of it i'll play it right now he said the sanctions levied against russia in response to their invading a sovereign country, Ukraine, are not designed to disrupt Russia's energy exports. Listen. To be clear, our sanctions are not designed to cause any disruption to the current flow of energy from Russia to the world. We've carved out energy payments on a time-bound basis to allow for an orderly transition of these flows away from sanctioned institutions, and we provided other licenses to provide for an orderly wind-down of business. It negates the effectiveness of any of the other sanctions you put in place because you now are ensuring that Vladimir Putin has a free flow of money going into his coffers that will fund not only this territorial ambition, but perhaps maybe other territorial ambitions that he might have. I mean, and the fact that, you know, Germany and this is where the tape I played to Trump on Tuesday is so impactful. Because Donald Trump literally I, in the grill, in the face of the head of NATO, telling him how stupid they are. That the whole purpose of the NATO alliance is to protect all these countries from Russia, Germany, from Russia, all these European countries from Russia. And that we're, we're, we're bearing the bulk of the cost of all this in terms of our GDP. Germany's not paying its fair share. And not only are they not paying their fair share, we're supposed to be staying aligned against Russia. And then you have countries like Germany and other countries that care more about Russian oil. They're purchasing all of this energy from Russia, ensuring that Vladimir Putin has a control over Europe and the lifeblood of their economy and B, that he's getting richer and richer and richer. And then Joe took it even a step further. 
when he artificially reduced the world supply of energy because he's beholden to these left-wing climate alarmist cultists that refused to to allow energy independence in this country. It's insane. This is a form of insanity. Importing 232, uh, um, 232,625,000 barrels of oil from Russia in 2021. That's what Joe Biden did. He even imported a million barrels of oil from Iran in 2021. He imported 316,226,000 barrels of oil from OPEC. He's making the world rich again. And here's the the sick part of it. We have more natural resources than they do. And yet in everything that he said this week, not once would he even broach the topic. Oh, maybe we should increase energy production here. That means that this, if he stays in this lane, where Vladimir gets to sell his oil and make all this money and America won't outproduce Russia, there's no end in sight in terms of Putin's ability to do whatever the hell he wants and nobody's going to lift a finger to stop him is my prediction. This is a huge mistake, another preventable problem and another problem that we could solve that Joe doesn't know how to solve. These are dangerous times. Listen... And as we uh, roll along on this Friday, 800-941-SEAN, you want to be a part of the uh, program. Once Joe Biden made the decision and his weak team made the decision that their sanctions are not designed to disrupt Russia's energy exports, it is game, set, match, it's over. Not only militarily, and we've gone over and compared and contrasted the size of the Russian military versus Ukraine. And I'm not I'm not discounting a possible insurgency effort, but I don't see it strong enough that's going to take back the country and and chase Vladimir out of Ukraine. And all of this is the world saying, oh, no, 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 this is bad. This is horrible. This is awful. This is this is wrong. This is a sovereign nation. This can't stand and this and that. And we're going to put harsh sanctions on Vladimir. And Russia's going to feel the pain. Russia's not going to feel the pain if you don't put in the sanctions that are going to hurt the most. There's only one sanction that would have mattered here. Well, the banking one is, is equally important as well. But if you're not putting sanctions on importing and exporting of energy which is the lifeblood of putin's economy nothing you do is going to have any impact on vladimir putin and i guarantee you that vladimir understood this long before he sent started building up his troops on the ukrainian border and i guarantee you he paid very close attention to joe abandoning energy independence to the new Green Deal radical climate change alarmist cult that is all things Democratic Socialist Party. And I rightly calculated that America would not go back to the energy independence policies of Trump and that America would no longer be a net exporter of energy and that he's going to get richer and richer and richer because we artificially reduce the world supply. He factored all of it in and he outmaneuvered a co- cognitively compromised Joe. <laughs> Ho, 
accountable. Sean gets the answers no one else does. America deserves to know the truth about Congress. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. I know that there are many making a big deal, and it is a big deal, of the bravery of citizens in Ukraine trying to fight back in a a David versus Goliath battle that I, I don't see as winnable. Right now, I don't see an insurgency capability weapon wise that would be sufficient enough to to push back the russia and and have that big an impact uh there'll certainly be some pushback and there'll be some bravery i know people have made a lot of the anti-war protests that have erupted on the streets of moscow that that does not phase me or impress me at all because what's going to happen is as would happen in any authoritative state is they're going to go in and like little Justin did to the peaceful protesters, the, the convoy in Ottawa, and and Putin's thugs are going to crack heads and put people in jail, probably kill some people to send a message, you're not allowed to crack down in Putin's Russia. That's the end of that. you know. And to watch the European Union go as wobbly as they have, I mean, I, in particular, you've got diplomats from many EU members concerned about other sectors of the Russian economy being penalized beyond energy. They could care less because it didn't happen to them. They don't really care that much that Putin took Ukraine. But it can, you know, what are his real ambitions? We'll get to that in a second. You know, you have Austria complaining, Germany complaining, Italy in particular raising concerns about imposing broad sanctions on cross-border financial transactions and banking operations and italy is pushing to leave the luxury goods industry untouched so they can continue to export fashion and other high-end products to russia so they're putting their profits above the rights of of the ukrainians to have a sovereign country as imperfect as country as ukraine is has been a lot of corruption historically there belgium wants an exemption uh, for the large diamond sector, and no EU countries are seriously advocating sanctions on the, the energy sector. That 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 is, look, by not putting sanctions on the energy sector of the Russian economy, and that it's not, these sanctions are not designed to disrupt Russia's energy exports, it basically is, negates any sanctions you are putting in place. It, it is, me, everything else is meaningless. That is the one thing that would be impactful and effective, and they're not going to do it. Um, anyway, so some are saying that these forces are holding up better. Um, I, I don't see that it's it's going to continue long term. I hope I'm wrong. I would like to see an insurgency that is, is effective, that would be effective in the long term. I think that would be great. Um, it is. It, it's just beyond frightening. Then you got to look worldwide. You've got Joe Biden, unbeknownst to me, I didn't see the Wall Street Journal piece, but unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, well, it was actually Reuters that first reported that the United States, for the first time since 1991 under Joe Biden, imported over a million barrels of oil from Iran. Why would we ever do that? And because OPEC now has turned down Joe multiple times asking for an increase in production, uh, I guess Joe's going to continue importing 232 million barrels of oil from Russia when we have more resources than Russia does. Is that going to continue? This is madness. You know, or the the 600 million barrels of oil OPEC, the 
the five million barrels of oil from the Saudis. I mean, this 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 is insanity. Um, there is a lesson historically that I think we got to learn here. I don't think most of you know about what was, was called the Budapest Agreement. And remember, in 1991, quick history lesson, Ukraine votes to secede from the USSR as an independent nation. And as part of their secession, they inherited nuclear weapons. At the time, they were the third largest. They had the third largest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the world. Then there were talks between Russia and Ukraine about removing these weapons. Those talks broke down. Then the United States got involved in trilateral and eventually, in 1994, what was known as the Budapest Agreement, a trilateral statement was signed by the three parties. And Ukraine then agreed to transfer the nuclear stockpile to Russia, and they were going to be destroyed. That was the deal. In return, what did Ukraine get? Security assurances from the U.S., Russia, and the U.K. What's the lesson there? No. Don't give up your nuclear weapons. That's that. That's it. Because if they would have had them, this wouldn't have happened. And we were involved in that. That would have been during the Clinton era. Not a good time. Anyway, eight hundred nine four one. Sean is a number you want to be a part of the program. Um, it, it, there's a certain amount of of madness to all of this. Uh, it, I'm looking at, and I've I've done a deep dive, and we've gone back and. We're listening to the rhetoric of Vladimir Putin, his July 12th statement, what he said earlier this week to justify the and the recognition of these two independent regions within Ukraine, uh, then sending in, he said, peacekeeping forces for the independent regions, uh, then the history of Georgia and Crimea and Belarus and Moldova, etc. Um if you look at the rhetoric that Putin has used as it relates to the justification to annex or take over or invade Ukraine, you have similar rhetoric that he's used against the Baltic states that he refers to as unfriendly nations. And when Belarus joined Putin, it's Belarus and uh, Moldova basically are, are satellite states of, of Putin's. But he said in February of this year, Belarus, when they, you know, joining the new Russian Empire, if any doubts remained about Putin's intentions to restore at least part of the old Soviet Union, they should be dispelled this week when Belarus announced that the estimated 30,000 Russian troops currently in the country would remain there indefinitely. But, you know, you can go back over the years and Russia and Putin were using the same exact lines on the Baltic countries that they used to invade Ukraine. This is from 2014, a senior foreign Ministry official says Moscow has a responsibility to protect ethnic Russian citizens of other countries, regardless of where they live. And we will do everything possible to defend the rights and interests of ethnic Russian minorities in neighboring Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania. Now, that is a predictor of things to come because we didn't pay attention to what Vladimir was saying as it relates to Ukraine. Are we going to? Pay attention to what he's saying about the Baltic states, you know, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. We're going to pay any attention to any of this. You know, Putin has publicly expressed his ambition to reassert control over the Baltic countries. Now, you have in the case of Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania, he wants to regain influence. And he's saying that he has an inalienable right to do so. 
in his speech earlier this week, setting the stage for this military invasion of Ukraine. Putin said Ukraine is not just a neighboring country for us. It is an inalienable part of our history, culture, and spiritual space. He said, saying the same exact thing about the Baltics. And then you got the China part of this equation. And we know what China, we know what their ambitions are all about. Um, anyway, so um, I'm not sure exactly. What's the exact pronunciation of Biden's uh, Supreme Court nominee? Uh, 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 this woman's first name. Do you remember? Linda, where are you? Yeah, Brown Jackson. And, and she has an interesting history. Graduated from Harvard. Studied at Harvard. Graduated in 19... 19- 92, Harvard Law School in 96, uh, grew up in Florida, graduated uh, down in Florida from a high school down there. Uh, she served as a clerk to the a U.S. district judge um, and followed that up with a clerkship for Judge uh, Selya, a Reagan appointee. She spent a year as an associate with a prominent law firm. Um Look, she's if you look at where she stands in terms of whether she is going to be an originalist or a constitutionalist, the answer is so obviously no. Are the Republicans going to put up a fight the way Democrats did with the in the case of Kavanaugh? It's never going to happen. Um, should it? Well, I'm only beginning to do a deep dive into her background and and her positions and where she has stood over the years and some of the major decisions that she's been involved in. She happened to be one of the lawyers on the friend of the court brief supporting a Massachusetts law that created a floating buffer zone around pedestrians and cars approaching abortion clinics. I'm sure she'll be asked about that in the committee on the judiciary. Uh, versus McGahn, she ruled that Don McGahn, former White House counsel to Donald Trump, was required to testify before the House Judiciary Committee as part of their investigation into Russian interference, which we out now know was all a lie and a conspiracy theory of the left in the 2016 election. Um, and in the opinion, she rejected the contention by Trump's Department of Justice that federal court lacks the power to review disputes between the executive branch and Congress over subpoenas as well as their argument that the president has the sole authority to decide whether he and senior aides will comply with subpoenas to testify about possible wrongdoing. And she stressed the primary takeaway from the past 250 years of recorded history as presidents are not kings, which is a specious argument in my view, because if you have people around the president of the United States, and I don't care who it is, and they can't offer free advice without the fear of reprisal, of the counsel that they're giving the president in, in historical moments, then they're not going to give the true counsel the presidents need to hear. That is a big problem. Um, 2018, she ruled against the Trump administration again in a lawsuit bought, brought by a federal employee uh, union challenging three of the president's executive orders, collective bargaining rights, et cetera, et cetera. So she seems to slant solidly on the left there. Um if you look at some of the controversies uh, that they have put out, uh, you know, she fits pretty well with the Democratic progressive movement's agenda. Very friendly labor uh, rulings as a judge. Uh, liberal advocacy organizations have been pushing uh, for this nominee to be the nominee that, uh, in fact, 
Biden picked of all the three that seem to be in the final contention. She seemed to slant most solidly to the left. She worked on Obama's presidential campaign, donated to Obama, registered Democrat, donated to Hillary's campaign. Uh, the rulings favor the left. Uh, as I mentioned on the expedited removal, she blocked the Trump administration's expedited removal program to deport illegal immigrants faster, saying that the DHS did not consider the impact on illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants, by definition, don't have rights. But anyway, that was a ruling. Uh, she ruled in favor of an aide of Hillary Rodham Clinton, the, the sky Felipe Reigns, who I'm known from way back, shielding him from having to explain why he used a private email account for official work. Uh, Jackson has a striking record of reversals of her decisions by appeals courts, meaning that they kind of see judicial activism in her. Um, anyway, this is, uh, I, I think how Republicans are going to handle this is how they always handle it. They let Democrats pretty much pick whoever they want, and the radical left will get a activist jurist that doesn't believe in co-equal branches of government, that believes in legislating from the bench, and basically we will be replacing one radical liberal justice with another. That's that's my early read on it, based on the short time I've had to research it with all the other news that's been breaking all over the place. I mean, it seems like every time I lift my head up, there's more there's more news breaking. We do have Mask Freedom Day apparently has arrived. Now, there's this big cover up that we've been talking about with the CDC in terms of information that they are withholding from the public, probably because the public is going to be angry when they find out that the real science is not what they told us it would be and that they were wrong yet again. But anyway, mark February 25th on your calendar. That is today as Mask Freedom Day. Seventy uh, percent of Americans will be able to remove their masks indoors, including inside of schools under new guidance to be released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention today. According to ABC News, under the new metrics, updated guidelines, more than half of the U.S. counties, 70 percent of American life will now be in areas of low or medium risk. No longer recommended to wear masks, said two sources briefed on plans, but not authorized to discuss them ahead of the announcement, et cetera, et cetera. Did they make that announcement yet? Because I read this a little earlier just before they the show did not goes. make it yet. No, they didn't make it yet, but it's coming. ABC News said so. So it's got to be true. Right. You got to trust the big networks. They get everything wrong. Uh, anyway, wow, this this day is just flying by. 800-941-SHAWN if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, we'll get Congressman Pat Fallon and Dan Hoffman's take on the developments in Ukraine. Um, Pat Fallon, interesting background, Air Force vet, member of the Armed Services Committee. Daniel Hoffman, as you know, 30-year CIA ops officer. And when you talk to him privately, he scares the hell out of you. I mean, when we were in Helsinki, Singapore, Vietnam... He was there, and he's like, if you turn on your phone, they will they, they will be spying on you. They'll be videotaping you. I'm like, what is what world do you live in? Because I don't want to live in this paranoid world. Uh, but I believed everything that he told me. He was just shooting straight.